Welcome to episode 13 <laughs> of Coffee with the Johns. Well, not, I kind of forgot how uh, long we've been doing this. Um, yes, we have a lot going on. I mean, like always, there's always a lot of news. What happened? <laughs> my camera, my speaker was uh, on. Always a lot of news going on. Um, so we have more shutdowns coming down the line. We have... You know, a lot of things going on with some states, some revolts going on. Uh, I think the common thread from all the stuff that I've been seeing this week is the lost confidence in our government. What are you talking about? Full faith right here. This yeah. guy. This guy. This that, guy. This guy. Um, but I really feel like that's that's really what the common thread is. Mutual assured destruction. Yeah. It's, uh, let, let's... Uh, Let's kind of get into it. How, how's your week? How's your week been? Oh, just fine and dandy. I, I, I try to, it's kind of hard. You do this, you do a show like this, you got to watch the news, and then you get stuck on some of these articles, and then you get, end up down rabbit holes of other places. And you're like, ah, God, I got to get off this crap. You start to listen to newscasts from one side, the news, uh, news broadcast from the other side, and it's uh, like, they're all lying. No, they're all lying. It's like, there was fraud. No, there wasn't. It's like, Oh, wow. Then you got like the, what's going on in, uh, was it Wayne County in Michigan? How they were going to certify the votes in Wayne County. But then like last minute, some of the Republicans said they were like be- receiving like death threats to their family if they didn't certify. And they wound up like not certifying the uh, results. So now they're going to do, I don't know if the, where that's going, but that was one of the lawsuits that Trump had. And they pulled yesterday because they were, they finally decided they weren't going to certify the votes in Wayne County, which is where Detroit is so well and then you also have uh, the um, Georgia came out pretty much saying yeah you know Biden won Georgia uh, well not Georgia's not coming out saying that the news is coming out saying that that Biden pretty much won Georgia so well that Georgia released their official hand recount and uh, Biden still won by like 12,000 votes or something like that, yeah. I think. And But that's what was crazy. I was looking last night. Five million votes and only 12,000 split that difference. Like how tight of a race that was yeah. for something like that. And that, that's just what's crazy about it. But also you look back to 2016, Trump won by 5% over Hillary Clinton. So they gained that much ground in Georgia. Oh, in Georgia, he won by five percent. Over five percent last in four years ago, what and this they year he lost. Georgia's always been red, though. Yeah, Georgia's been. Yeah. They haven't voted for, since uh, Clinton in ninety ninety two. Was last time they voted blue. It's kind of like Arizona was ninety six. Last time they voted blue, and now in twenty twenty, uh, twenty four and twenty eight years later, they voted blue again. So, well, so let, let, we're gonna do a little bit of different format this time instead of going article by article we're actually summarizing a lot of the stuff because it just bleeds over from one place to the the next we don't need to go by article but let's start off with uh the covid shutdowns right so we have uh, let's start with san antonio so the covid19 community response coalition uh, apparently that's a thing See, and people say that we have unemployment. Look at that. A whole coalition was created for COVID response. <laughs> um, it said uh, Tuesday, uh, it said on Tuesday, uh, offered Bayer County Judge Nelson Wolf recommendations for bars in the community if positive rates are equal or exceed 10% for 
for two consecutive weeks. And then we have our lovely mayor reported Monday that the area's positivity rate increased 1% since last week and is now at 9.4. Well, there's a controversy with that where there's other health professionals or uh, I don't say health professionals, but leaders of Texas to say like, no, 10% positivity rate is not what you should be shooting. It should be the 15% hospitalization rate. Were you listening? (laughs) Okay, but uh, now you have your Pennsylvania governor Mm -hmm. coming out with masks are required outside where it isn't possible to maintain at least a six-foot distance from others, according to the order. And inside inside where people from multiple households are gathered, even if they can maintain a social distance. So even if you're across the room from each other, you got to wear a mask inside for Thanksgiving and stuff like that. And or it's just... You have to damn mind. Like, no. And a lot of people, they're, uh, they're pushing back on a lot of these things that they're just like, we're not doing that. They, they call it like the COVID fatigue. And they're all like pleading, please don't, please don't, right. don't. We need to keep pushing through with this. But people are starting to be like, we're just, we'd rather take the risk when you got a 99.8% survival rate uh, of getting sick. So you get sick, you get a cold. Well, I mean, and that's kind of the stuff. Well, they're saying it's yours. It's always right. something. Always. John Good. There we go. And people always tell me, you know, hey, you know, how easy is it to start a podcast or do your – I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah go ahead. Everyone's everyone like, we're going to make a recording studio. Like, all right. Yeah, have fun. Good, good luck with that shit. All My right. God. Well, it's, it's that abuse you give to that microphone. You yell into it every time you talk. It's like, dude, you can talk I normally. don't yell. I speak in all caps. There's a difference. Oh, okay. um, all right. Let's move moving forward. So we have San Antonio doing that. Uh, so there's – Pretty much rumors that they're gonna they're gonna close down the bars again, and l- limit the restaurants and all of that. And we're gonna get into more details on this, but just giving you a little rundown. Then we have Pennsylvania, like they're saying they want you to wear masks inside. Um, they were even going as far as saying that they just they rather you not get with family during the holiday season. Just oh, dude, stay like any- in your house. Yeah. That's it. Don't go out. Don't see other people. Just stay in your house. So, you know, I, w- I would love to hear what you guys that are watching have to say. Are you going to stay in your house this holiday season or are you going to hang out with friends and family? Then we have our lovely New York City. Um, you know, being that I, I don't I haven't lived in New York, in New York for what, seven? Yeah, a little over seven years now. It still hurts me when I hear this dumb shit coming out of there. Like it's still, I still have love for the the state where it's like when I hear all this stupidity, it's like, oh my God. So, but anyway, on the heels of the closure of New York City public schools, officials warned that indoor dining and fitness facilities are likely to be next. So Mayor de Blasio is saying New York City will be in the orange zone. But declaring the city an orange zone is a geographic area with a positivity rate of 3% on a seven-day rolling average for 10 days, which will force such closures. But he cannot claim it. Only Cuomo can declare that. And the Bellasio also said that it's more than likely in the next week or two, gyms and dining will close. 
That's what's crazy is like here in Texas, we're talking about closing bars when you get a 10% positivity rate, but they're like, nope, 3% of how strict their stuff is there. And then you have Cuomo going out and getting arguing with uh, news reporters and like berating them that saying, we're not closing any schools, we're not closing any schools. And then not, but minutes later, de Blasio comes out and says they're shutting down all New York City schools for in-class in learning. It's like, my God. And then they come out with their uh, Christmas tree. I don't know. You haven't seen it yet, no. but it, it, uh, I'm just looking at a, a whose headlines is Rockefeller Christmas tree in New York City gets mocked and compared to Charlie Brown. All you got to do is Google yeah, New York I'm, City I'm Xmas tree, it and it's like the the photos that come up, and it's just like wow, that is no. one sad looking tree. <laughs> it is just like wow. So you guys can see what I'm looking at. It's really just kind oh of like, God, man, this is supposed to be like, isn't this supposed to like, you guys are from New York. Isn't this supposed to be like the iconic thing of like Christmas time is like the Rockefeller Center area Christmas well, tree with all the it's, lights and it's everything? It's so iconic for us that with, uh, with Val, every year we watch the Rockefeller lighting. They, they do a, you know, kind of a ceremony, a party of it. And they have a lot of artists that come out, you know, they're doing their Christmas music and all that. Not and this we, year though. We always watch it, right? Because it's it's beautiful. And yeah. man, this is this is a really sad sight to see. Um, oh my god! <laughs> so uh, here, I'm hoping this one doesn't have pop ups. But if you guys are watching, look at this. This is just embarrassing. Like, I mean, I, you know, there's just uh, no. Of course, another pop up. Jesus, every news site wants to charge you now, but. It's just sad. It's like, where's where are the standards going? I, that's another thing that I've realized since this shutdown happened. I noticed it first with food, right? You go to restaurants. I'm trying to support local mom and pop restaurants. The food has been garbage. Like it's like they don't even try to. It's, I'm looking at. It, I'm like, look, guys, you have a lot less customers. Why the hell isn't the food coming out like amazing? Well, right? Yeah, you get the you ingredients. Have more time. We have more time, but then like you look at you, it goes all the way back. It's the same thing for like lumber shortages. This goes all the way back to the farmers of how like uh, supply chains were interrupted to where they were just dumping produce into the ocean because like they couldn't get it anywhere. Like ever, all the supply chains were so jacked up that they couldn't move this stuff through. It just goes to show like how fragile our system can be with something like this, shutting things down, people getting laid off and it just backlogs to where it might be. They might be taking more time, but the in ingredients going in suck. Because they go back to the place to get the ingredients and they're like, yeah, we can't get it from our suppliers in time. By the time it gets to us, it's four days late than what it normally is. Not anywhere near as fresh. You go to the supplier and they're like, well, yeah, the truckers aren't bringing it in from the fields yeah. as fast. And like, well, we can't harvest it as fast. So you have that huge supply chain issue all the way back, no, all the I way across. I, I, I'm looking at it as the quality. I'm talking about like I've gone places to eat breakfast and the bacon comes out like beef jerky. You know, I'm going somewhere to, yeah, you know, have pancakes and the pancakes are like, I got to throw it against the wall and put a hole through it. You understand? Like it's quality. It's not that, you know, oh, they're not getting the right ingredients. The, the chicken is under season. No, it hasn't been that. It's been like overcooked. It's just the quality of the actual process. Yeah. Is gone down. And then you go and it's like everybody that's serving you has an attitude. It's like you, but you're bothering most people. So I, I don't know, but uh, you know, it's actually funny here because uh, Valeria talk about, you know, that New York pride stepping in. She, uh, she, she says that is the worst fake news 
the tree is still tied up and they made it seem like they're really going to put a raggedy tree. So time will tell. She dun, is dun, dun, all dun. for that. This tree is going to look great when it's ready to go. So I hope you're right, Val. They spent enough tax uh, dollars on it. They can like tape some leaves in there and like <laughs> kind of do some glue in the middle of the night or then they wrap it with lights so you can't see it. Yeah. So they, they can make it CGI on TV for it. So yeah, at least make nobody it, can make conjugate it nice to see clothes. it. It's not like they're going to have a lot of, nobody well, can I go see what's it. going to happen for uh, Times Square uh, New Year's Eve. They're going to yeah. most likely cancel it. Yeah, they can't. They, they already they've, called it? they've already canceled that so stuff. Oh, I wonder how you become a select My person there. My God. The, the revenue New York is losing. <laughs> Lawrence Rutowski, New York has plenty of other issues than, than a tree. <laughs> but yeah, but not issues that matter to me, LJ. You're, you have different problems. So let's move forward with uh let's talk about that leadership one-on-one that you okay have. so this is something that I, I found very interesting and the headline was leadership 101 two big state governors have no intention to join the panic party and lock things down two of the largest republican governed states you can count on being locked down free according to their governors as 45 of the 50 states across the country have seen coronavirus cases increase of at least 10% over the past week. Many governors are choosing to return to lockdowns while Texas Governor Abbott and Florida Governor Ron DeSantis are saying lockdowns are not in their plans. In a radio interview Thursday uh, at 66 a.m. in Dallas, Abbott said, we are not going to have any more lockdowns in the state of Texas. Our focal point is going to be working to heal those who have COVID and get them out of the hospital quickly, make sure they get back to the normal lives. In Florida, Governor DeSantis' office released a statement saying, the governor will not lock down and hurt families who can't afford a shelter and afford, afford to shelter in place for six weeks, especially not for a virus that has a 99.8% survival rate. And that's a statement from the governor's office. And that's where it's like, you know, it's, it's good to see some of these other actually people coming out and throwing some of these statistics out to their people so they can make decisions for themselves. And you have South Dakota governor, Christy Noman, Noam. We already know that Lachlan's don't, lockdowns don't stop the spread of the virus. However, they destroy small businesses and jobs, and they make it difficult for families to put food on their table. And then you got California Go- Democratic Governor Gavin Newsom has gone the opposite direction of his Republican counterparts, placing the majority of the state back into the highest level of lockdowns and coronavirus restrictions. To where you just, everyone says, oh, we can't make this political. I don't know how you can't. When you got your states that go uh, that are more Republican, they're saying we're not doing this, and looking from an econ- a health and economic standpoint, to where like. I, I, I agree 100% the way South Dakota governor says it. We already know lockdowns don't stop the spread of the virus. It's like yeah. it, the virus is still there. It might bring it down, but as soon as you open back up, people are going to happen. But when you combine it with the Florida governor saying it's a 99.8% survival rate, and then it's saying like it does nothing but destroy small businesses and jobs and makes it difficult for families to put food on their table. 100%. To where I don't know how long some of these states or how like California, how with their however many 55 million people or however many people live over there like how are these people actually able to sustain do they have that much of a social uh, programs that these people can eat they shut down for six more weeks new york to where i don't get 
how they can justify this stuff. They're leading with the health thing. And I think it's a narrative coming back from the elections that they, they ran with that narrative. That's what they used to defeat Trump. And now they can't just let it go. They have to keep going with it because then it seems that they're flip-flopping. They want Biden to be the one that saves the country from the virus to where like they don't want it to be politicized, but it's like you're still running politics with this thing. Like yeah. You're not letting the economy open back up for something that's 99.8% survival well, rate the, and destroying think, jobs. Don't you think it's something that we've talked about before that it, it is it is sad to hear, to think about, but it's doubling down. I mean, they've, you know, and by they, I do mean Democrats because it has become a left and a right issue. Um, the left is doubling down on we cannot allow one person to die from COVID. Like, that's the whole agenda, right? We yeah. cannot, uh, one person's life is worth the whole economy, which is insane. I mean, honestly, to me, it's insane. I, I think is one person's life worth, you know, tanking the whole economy? Well, no. that's one thing. Like we said last week, that if Chicago didn't shut down, of their eight and a half million people, a thousand people could die. It's like yes, but when you create that much massive poverty, because it shows like this just exacerbates poverty levels exponentially by taking income away from these people, especially in these high cost cities like Chicago, L.A., New York, to where you take that from them, like. That yes, a thousand people don't die from COVID, but now you have crime skyrocketing, you have shootings skyrocketing, and then you're defunding the police on top of that. You have so many things that it's like, okay, the the headline a thousand people could die from COVID, but what the tens of thousands that die because of poverty levels and people just trying to survive don't matter either. But it's like, oh, but that's a different issue. That's a social issue. That's so, not anything to do with. I don't know the, how accurate these numbers are. I mean, you know, every place has their their stats, but. Roughly 260,000 Americans have died. 260,000 Americans have died because of COVID. At a 350 million, or 50 million like Americans. Like, to me, it's like, it don't again, I'm not making light of the situation. I'm not saying that people should die. <coughs> I'm not saying any of that. What I'm saying is that it sucks, but the cure is literally worse than the actual disease. Yeah. What they're well, at least what they think the cure is, because it hasn't even it's not even a money issue anymore, because what, what we have from like the Biden plan and all that coming up is they want to provide more stimulus. That's fine. Provide more stimulus. Go I don't ahead. call it stimulus at that point. Yeah, they want to give people more money just so that they, they don't have the financial strains. Right. Let's cancel all bills for the next for 2021. Cancel them all. Let's wait for the vaccine. The money is not the issue anymore. It's mental sanity that's the issue. Yes. People are just don't want to be home anymore. And, and you're starting to see this across the country where you're kind of having, what do they call it, COVID fatigue? Yeah. And you're starting to have that. And it kind of leads into the next topic that I wanted to hit is the whole Thanksgiving thing. So in New York, you have sheriffs, which this was very interesting. New sheriffs York City, New York State. New York. New okay, York. Okay. Yeah. New well, York City is. Well, I know, but for people not from New York, when you say New York, it's oh, like, yeah. are we talking so about New York? For or people New York not from New York, let me give you some geography lessons. New York is a lot more than the boroughs, okay? What's the, the boroughs? boroughs is the bottom <laughs> part. It's it, it, even, it's, uh, you know, I'm not even going to go there. It's like the very southeast corner uh, gonna, of New York. It's yeah. like a pin drop. It um, looks like a little turd coming out of New York because it's like pretty much what it's turning out to be. But don't get offended. 
Um, but you have the rest of the state of New York. Uh, sheriffs throughout the whole state have come out pretty much saying, screw what Cuomo wants. We are not going to enforce it. Yeah. We are not going to be going around. We have one sheriff that says, um, Sheriff uh, Giardino. Yeah, Giardino, a Republican, questioned the constitutionality of Cuomo's order, adding, in good faith, we can't enforce it. They're like, don't feel a need to hide cars cover with leaves or walk three blocks oh so <laughs> your house doesn't become a target of the government's uh, executive order. So you're having, and, and these are sheriffs, like it wasn't just one. These are sheriffs throughout the whole state in multiple areas coming out and saying like, look, we are just not going to do it. You understand? Like we're, we're not going to enforce it. We have other yeah. issues to worry about. So, they're all coming up saying that it's unconstitutional. Uh, one person, what was it? We're not going to be going peeking through your windows, counting how many people. I saw a video. It, it says, listen, how many people are eating turkey or how many, how many, to see how many turkey or tofu eaters are present in a not so distant. Yeah, that, that got all screwed up. But tofu eaters that shit was just funny to me well i saw a video on facebook it was um i can't remember the name of the movie but it was a chevy chase movie it was like the he's like home for the holidays i don't know what it was but it's a scene where they're all gathering around like their family and stuff like that and all of a sudden like 15 cop cars come rolling up to the house and swat team starts blowing in through the windows and it was the caption was like what christmas is going to be like if in new mm -hmm. york as <laughs> <laughs> like cops could be rolling everywhere but it's the same thing like my cousin in california he he was saying he's like i'm not looking forward to the calls because like our our deputies like our sheriff's department our, our dispatchers yeah. they they are pretty good at screening that stuff out to where they don't respond to things like that oh, he's sure. like but the amount of calls that we still get of like my neighbor next door is having a party over there and they got way more of the people. There's no social distancing, no mask and just people just snitching on their own neighbors. It's like, Ugh. just, just put a, a sign on your yard. If you're going to do this in New York and say that you're having a peaceful protest uh, about yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. black lives matter or something like that. Any other and, hot topics. Yeah, are in the and you'll probably today. get more neighbors coming over at that point. But so here are my thoughts with all this. And and I, and I wanted to get your opinion on this. What are the implications of the sheriffs and people of power coming out against these orders? So as I'm reading this, as I'm reading all these articles and I'm looking at everything that's happening, it's extremely politicized, mm -hmm. right? So you have Cuomo coming out or Newsom coming out saying, hey, we're going to this is an executive order and all this. The sheriffs are not going to enforce it. The police is not going to enforce it. There's people with, you know, some common sense. They're not going to be going around. And, and I mean, not common sense so much about the virus, but like I'm sure you should have much better things to do than driving around trying to count how many people are at each property. Like that to me, if that's all you're doing, my God, we have no crime in the country then. Like yeah. we have a peaceful ass country. Um so that's one thing. But then my thing is like, why come out and say it publicly? You can go ahead and do it, but come out, coming out. And I'm not saying I'm against it or anything, but I'm just, you know, trying to look at both sides. Like if you're coming out saying as the sheriff, somebody of authority in those counties and those cities coming out and saying we are not going to enforce this, you are further feeding to the divide and the hysteria and the insecurity and the fear of the people 
by you know defying the leader of that well i think state. it's a lot of it is it's like it, it's the politics of it because you're talking it's rural county sheriffs smaller towns that are coming against us but we know like new york california illinois like they're run by chicago new york la san francisco san diego like the big cities uh that's and so they have big ties to those people so they think very differently you can just look at the results from the election of which states and counties went which direction to where you have it very fed up to where I think what is going to come to is like when the elections come back around and people are going to remember these things. They're just like, you know what? Screw this stuff is like the way you treated this, the way you handled this, the way you went about governing. We don't think you're fit for office and they're going to vote. They're going to do it via votes to where I think that's where it is like to where you have it so politicized still to where the rural counties where people enjoy their freedom. They don't want to be told what the government or being told by their government what they should and shouldn't be doing. They're the ones that are revolting and you have those sheriffs and those counties that are it's like, you know what? Screw this. If you want to dictate all of New York the way you want to do New York City, knock yourself out. But I'm not going to enforce your rules. And there's really not a whole lot you can do about it because we're talking 75% of the no, state. And, and I, as far I as land understand mass. that. And I understand what, what I'm saying is what I keep seeing from the people, from the public, from, you know, is all this divisiveness that there is the left versus the right, right? Yeah. The masks versus no masks. It's so much of the verses, and now you're having. It, it, that's why, like I said, the the common thread throughout this whole episode is going to be the lack of confidence, trust, and the defiance against the government. You understand? And even from the the, the same people within the government, where it's like you're having <clears throat> Biden campaign. You know, they're gonna probably come out with some strict stuff for COVID uh, once he goes into the office and everything. They're probably going to come out with some strict stuff, you know, federal mask face masks and stuff, yeah, and all this other stuff. But then you're going to have people like Abbott, like the guy from Florida, North Dakota, saying, "What? No, f you. We're not going to do it." So now you're having even more divisiveness. Now you're having even more issues. Like that's what I'm seeing is that as far as like we've talked about civil unrest before, like the country keeps getting. And we're seeing it again at the political level, just keeps getting more divisive, more separated, more more conflicts coming about. You're having the sheriffs, you're having the mayors, you're having everybody arguing with each other, disagreeing. If one comes out with one thing, the other one will go against it just because they can. You understand? Like we see that here all the time between Abbott and, you know, like uh, Wolf and uh, Nuremberg. Nuremberg. Yeah. Um, Nuremberg, anything Abbott says, they, Nuremberg wants to do well, the they, they would, like he would They tried to shut the city down multiple times when this all started, but Abbott came out and said, you can't, like, governor federally rules. It's nothing that uh, the states can overstep the governor of the state. So he kept things open for quite some time with the no mask mandates and stuff like that. And I think he let uh, – he knew the right thing to do was – or knew what he wanted to do is like doing the mask mandate for people in like big cities. But he didn't want to reverse his course. So that's why I think he let Wolf and these other major uh, judges come out and require the businesses to do it and didn't overstep and say, hey, you're trying to circumvent my law. No. I think he went ahead and, and let that happen. But it'll be interesting to see what happens because that's one thing that Biden has come out to say that is like, I, I'm, I'm not going to shut any things down. Or like, if I need to shut things down and I can't, I'm going to go to every single governor, every single mayor and like try to yeah, fight those. Yeah, he's like, going to meet with. 
Yeah, I was like, that, that's going to be your number them. one priority as president. You're going to meet with every single mayor of every single city and ask them to plead with them to create this. Well, but, I mean, I mean you, you got to look at it. You know, it, it's politics, right? They, he said whatever he needed to say to get elected. Um, now, but yeah. you got to look at their actions. So you look at who's forming the cabinet and his advisors and everything. Yeah. And everybody in the cabinet, in, you know, all part of his advisors, they're all people that are for shutdowns. Well, the crazy and, thing is, like, the CDC, the WHO have all come out and said shutdowns uh, do not work. And they, they are they, well. The, well, their last statement they came out and said these, that yeah. should be a measure of absolute last resort because of the things that we've all stated from the very beginning that by shutting down you're creating so many more social problems that impact health, which is what the WHO and the CDC care about um, supposedly. So those things are saying like don't shut down because you create such massive poverty, you create the domestic violence, you create alcohol, drug abuse, suicide rates start dra dramatically increasing and it's a direct cause and effect that when like the shutdown, those things spiked up. So it is something that uh, well, it, it's funny because we have uh, Lauren says, wait, the election is over. <laughs> <laughs> Look, uh, Time Magazine came out with uh, the cover of saying Biden is the 46th president. I think on the left and the majority of the media is the left, right? It's controlled by the left and everything is already they need to solidify Biden's win because if for whatever reason there's actual fraud found, right? Like substantial because I, I don't like we said before, the question isn't whether there was or wasn't fraud is was there substantial fraud to overturn the votes for Biden and where Trump gets them and now he wins. They're trying to solidify because if that happens, I think what they're counting on is the mayhem that is going to come out of it, that even if they find it, it's going to get to a point where they're probably going to look at each other and say, do we really want to bring this evidence out and completely just take oh, it just America into all a the election where it is something to where if they can prove all that stuff, you're going to absolutely destroy the public's faith in the election system Everything. and the political system. And, and, and you're going to make one side of the, uh, the aisle flip the hell out, right? Which are they're already on edge. Yeah. So you're going to make them flip the hell out and you're going to make the other side defend their point. So now you're creating even more anger, right? More like I think honestly, whether you like uh, Biden or not, I think the best choice is to just kind of let this election go, because at that point, if they were to reverse it and give it to Trump, Trump is going to be the president of a burning country. Damn near. You understand? Like, well, it's I mean, it's gonna, gonna be it's gonna be fifty percent versus the fifty percent. I don't know. I don't. I, regardless, but it's still gonna be a chaotic country. Yeah. Oh yeah. And mm -hmm. my thing is like, you know, I don't think Trump is the person to pull us out of it because he is not a person that can unite. And you know, and I think anybody can agree on that. He's not a person that unites. He's a person that stirs shit up and brings a lot of crap to light, you know, and he's done what he's done. I mean, he's, he's tough. He's very tough on a lot of things. He doesn't care about your feelings. Yeah. So that is something that, uh, I mean, I don't know what's going to happen with it. Well, and we'll, I mean, we'll find out soon enough in the next coming months. Well, um, one well, of the things I on. just, before you, I don't know if you were going to move on, but no. before you move on, like one of the things that I found very, uh, interesting is ammo's. Right. So I feel like a lot of people have been voting 
with gun and ammo pretty much because it's like gun sales have gone through the roof this yeah. past year you know and even more after the election what was i saw something there like there's a year backlog on yeah. ammunition or like a billion dollar backlog on ammunition so you have ammunition that in most places now you can't even find ammunition last time i was looking for ammo we were looking at they were selling them for like uh, a box of 50 just full metal jacket nine millimeter selling it for 60 dollars uh at these gun and ammo places $60 when they were originally what 15 13, 13? yeah insane right six so, months ago or not six months ago now but yeah, yeah a year ago so you you have all this um as I was, I was listening to an interview where somebody said look are Americans that bad a shot that they need so much ammo <laughs> <laughs> that shit was just well, it's also things like oh in case I need to get on the run you can't run with 800 pounds of ammunition strapped to your back. Like it's you got 10,000 rounds. Okay. Like you really not, I mean, you, you fortress inside your house. You just like sit inside your closet, but it's kind of like, I don't know. Yeah. It's kind of interesting. But one so, of the things I, I, I heard this and I wanted to check it um, about New York, which was just like the hypocrisy of it is the New York post comes out and says governor Cuomo to give himself a $25,000 a year raise this year. During all of this stuff, nice. when he's facing a $63 billion budget deficit. Towards is like, if I was in New York, I would be so livid. Well, I'm like, wait, so we're all suffering, getting shut down, and now you're paying yourself more with our tax dollars, which we aren't making anymore, and you're giving yourself a $25,000 a year raise. Like, oh, my God. So I think a lot of this is going to well, come around with these my, elections. That My brother lives in New York, and, you know – I've told you how he is with his uh, his constitutional rights and everything. Yeah. He, he likes them. And he's been very – him and his wife have been very vocal about Cuomo. And it's just like I, – I look at them and I'm like, what are you guys waiting for? I mean, people are fleeing New York by – the hundreds of thousands. I think they were talking about like over three or four hundred thousand people. New York City. Just, that yeah, was just oh, New, that York was City. New York City. Yeah, yeah like three hundred thousand people left well, New York the, City already. Where the worst is right, but it's like it's insane. It's really just nuts how how much they're just inching little by little and taking. You know, in a sense, they are taking a lot of your your civil rights, your constitutional rights, your 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 right to decide what you want to do with your life. Yeah. Right. Uh, because they're saying, well, it's for the good of the many. And it's like, well, in your opinion, is for the good of the many. You understand? So now they're taking all this away. People are getting pissed. They keep getting pissed. And, you know, I, I just, I don't know. Uh, you're going to keep seeing that yeah. flee. I, I, uh, Tommy, I see your, some of your comments here. It's like, uh, and I know the answer to this already, but man, do you come from a military background with the descriptions you're given with the, the, to suppress the bad guy to maneuver, to pinpoint, point, pop, then precision fire post maneuver? <laughs> it's like, oh, yep, yep. And that just, yeah, uh, it's called suppressive fire. <laughs> yeah, it's like, it's not about being a bad shot. It's just a pump enough lead in the air, but everyone will go, oh, shoot, you know, I'm going to stay down. I don't know where those bullets are going. Well, I mean, uh, we've done it. You know, we talked about it before. Uh, my wife got herself. Our, uh, got her a gun took it to the range she understands how to use it you know we we're uh we're actually going to be taking a class shortly on like how to use it for self for defense purposes yeah. because it's not th that's another thing that's scary like it's not just go and get a gun because you can get a gun like get educated about owning a gun yeah you need to know owning what you're doing with it you're just serious as, like yeah. if you have to use it you got to understand that you're using it because you're going to take somebody's life you cannot take that lightly 
You understand? That's not a joke. Like you can you got to take owning a gun very serious. How you you know store the gun? How do you use? How do you carry the gun if you have the license to carry? Like mm -hmm. you got to understand. You got to look at the laws. You got to look at the rules. You got to practice. You got to understand how guns work. Yeah. Every time I hear somebody that they're like, oh, I don't like guns. I don't believe guns. It's just because of ignorance, right? You you don't understand and you're afraid of them, which is perfectly understandable. But how you overcome that is by getting educated, yeah. by understanding how to do it. And I, I strongly recommend if you're going to get a gun, get educated, please. Just having a gun isn't enough. You need to understand that it's a real power. Like you can you can kill somebody. It's a real weapon. You understand? Like, yeah. Learn how to use it. Well, I mean, uh, to go a little bit out of order, let's finish these two uh, political ones and we'll jump back to the economy stuff. To where, like, uh, there's more political? Yeah, I never like to get off politics, but uh, there's two more articles. One of them, and this is something that I disagree with, that I wanted to hear your thoughts on this. Is that, uh, the, the title was Californians Prepared to Descend on Georgia to Fight for Democrats in Senate Race. And so. I won't read the whole thing, but uh, a host of California residents and California-based politicians organizations are prepared to descend on Georgia to campaign for the two Democrat U Democratic U.S. Senator candidates whose victory would have profound implications for the direction of the country. Because if they win these two Senate races in January, and the reason they're doing those is because in Georgia... Oh, I was like, in, in Georgia, you have to win a majority. Mm -hmm. And the two Senate third party to candidate coming in or one of them had a lot more um so now they're going to runoffs but if the democrats do win those two seats now it's a 50 senators a republican 50 senators democrats so you have a tie but oh, then the, the, the breaks the tie is the vice president kamala harris so <laughs> that would have profound implications on the directions of the country is heading and that's what i don't agree with is that you have people from california now saying in other states saying we're moving to georgia for a few months so they can vote and then move back out of the state. Uh, Andrew Yang said him and his family are moving from California, I think is where they live, to Georgia to take up residency, to become a resident so they can vote in January. And be, so they're a Georgia citizen so you they know, can vote. When, but it's like, that's where I don't disagree. It's like other states where all they have all this money and all this power go and influence elections of those people from that state saying, we're going to send money there. We're going to send people there to take up residence to influence that election of that state when they have no care of what Georgia does. Yeah. It's no, I'm going to influence it my way for six months and then I'm going to go back to where I came from and now so we can control the entire nation. That's what I don't disagree with when you have so much money flowing out of these other states of influencing elections in the local markets well, or in local states. To, to that point, I mean, I think that you should have limits as far as if you want to vote in a state right that it's not your presidential elect no even then if you want to vote you got to have at least had residence in that state for at least a year or something right like have some limit of time of being in that state paying taxes contributing to that state before you even have the right to dictate which way that state 
goes. Yeah. You can't just simply get there and already start enforcing your, your yeah. beliefs. And that, right? was the, that was the end of the article. It's the last paragraph. The vast number of people who say they are willing to move to Georgia just so they can vote in the runoff election has prompted the state officials to push back on the idea. So there, And that makes sense. It's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. You guys can't come here to do this because of your political agenda. If you're going to do it, you can be here uh, for – you have to be, live here for six months. Or yeah. you had to vote in the primary – to vote in this runoff election as like, you can't just come here, take up residency so you can vote in six months and then leave again. Like that d- doesn't make sense. You know, so like, that, that, it gets very, that gets very frustrating to me where it's just like, okay, come on. That's, that's BS that you're allowed to do that. After this live, I'm actually going to look for, uh, the, the, this clip that I'm going to talk about and I'm, I'll post it in the show notes. So make sure to check back. Patrick bit David, we were, I was listening to his podcast, and he talked about uh, many, many years ago about how what what how to earn your vote, right? Because that that is one thing that, as an immigrant, as somebody that I've had to work to become a citizen of yeah. this country, right? I've earned, I believe, my right to vote for this country because I've chosen to be here and I've busted my ass to stay, mm-hmm. right? So. Americans having that, you know, what do they call that? Um, that entitlement of being able to vote just because you were born here. I think we need to move that where he was saying, no, you still need to earn your right to vote. Right. Because if you don't have skin in the game, you should not be allowed to vote because then what are you voting on? You don't understand anything. You haven't contributed. So he talks about like how you earn votes. It's like, you know, if you pay X amount in taxes, you're contributing, right? So you should earn your right to vote. If you have certain degrees from colleges and stuff like that, if you serve in the military, there's an electoral system, police, not electoral, but yeah, there's a, there's a, so, there's a bar system. And that he's pretty much you saying that a person can get up to 100 votes, a person, based on all these qualifications. And it, it's a very, it's an interesting, very, concept. very interesting. Like, I'm going to. So vote. the harder you work, it's like, oh, you work hard, you get rewarded. Yeah. You don't get them for free. And there's no age but, limit. There's no like so he's like, if you're 16 and you've paid a thousand because his minimum was you have to pay a minimum of a thousand dollars into taxes for you to have one vote, which isn't much like you make like 10 grand in a year and you're paying that. I mean, yeah, I guess it depends like what tax bracket you're in because I've well, yeah, that, but I mean, most, know, I think most people don't even pay taxes at certain tax brackets. But anyway, regardless, yeah. if you made enough money that you've paid a thousand dollars into taxes, you get one vote. He's like, you know, and they were making the point, but what if you're, you know, 16 years old, if you're 16 years old and you've had to pay a thousand dollars in taxes, you probably know more than somebody that's 30 that hasn't paid any taxes yet. Cause they still live with their mom. Yeah. Right. You actually have been out working contributing and you're paying your taxes like yeah you should have a right you know to what vote. that feeling is like you realize like man i'm gonna start paying attention to where my where this money right. goes when i have to pay this in Cause because that's one thing like i don't like paying taxes because i see where my tax dollars go and what they get put used for and how they get wasted that's where it's like uh i don't like the way you do that so that's why we try to minimize our taxes as much as possible legally obviously yeah. but uh, the tax code does allow for that kind of stuff because it they want you to produce. They want you to invest. The reason we get a write-off buying all this equipment for this podcast is because we're using it for our business to grow. 
So we get to write those things off because now it's an investment. Don't in the say economy. those things too loud. Come on, <laughs> we, we pay our taxes. Uh, we don't get write-offs. Yeah. We like yeah. overpaying. Um, but anyways, I think uh, we can get into some economic news now and kind of get away from politics and COVID. That was our 45-minute stint on well, that. For, for everybody, before uh, we move over, for everybody watching and listening, uh, please put in the comments. Let me know. Put a thumbs up. If you guys want us to do this, this coming Friday after Thanksgiving, because we're not sure whether or not we should do it just because Thursday's Thanksgiving. I hear that people, for whatever reason, get wasted on Thanksgiving. Um, they didn't know that was a thing. I understand being full If you got to hang around with a bunch of family, well, you're not supposed to, I guess, but hang around with a ton of Texas your family you that you never see. And I was like, oh, I got to hang out with Uncle Jerry. The only way I could do that was with a bottle of wine. That's how most people, Well, you know, some of their extended family, are like, I'm really not too I'm, fond of him. Man, you're, you're very bougie, huh? Bottle of wine? <laughs> nah, nah, bottle well, it's of it's an all-day thing. Yeah. Um, but anyway, like, if you guys want us to do it, if you guys feel that, Yes, I, I'm going to join live. I'm going to be there watching Coffee with the Johns. Put it in the chat. Let me know, and then we'll do it. But if we don't get enough people saying that, yes, they want to hear it, they want to listen to it, then we are not going to do it because, I mean, we'll, we'll just, you know. just take a week off. Yeah, we'll take we'll take that week off. Well, we um, also kicked around the idea of just doing a little bit of a later start for people not having to get up as early. Right, and then if you say, well, maybe not 8 a.m., well, let's do it 9 a.m., all right, don't push it too much because uh, – uh, I actually do get up early, so I'm not trying to do this, you know, kill most of my morning. <laughs> but, uh, you know, if you guys prefer instead of 8, 9 a.m. and you're going to join and we get, I don't know, if I get like 15 of you guys to say yes, then we'll do it. But if we get 14, we will not do it. So, <laughs> we get but being that, our thought is that, you know, nobody's going to be going out Black Friday shopping because everything's going to be online, right? Yeah. Nobody's going to be doing it. So if you're home Friday morning, and you want to catch up on the news, have a good laugh, and hang out with some cool guys and, and watch us. Um, <laughs> no, we are the cool guys. Hang out with the hairless wonder. The hairless wonder. All aerodynamic <laughs> over here. Uh, put it in the chat. Let me know. And that way we just go ahead and uh, schedule that in. LJ, I'm not doing 6 a.m. because I know you don't even get up at 6 a.m. Ever. Yeah, this so. guy, only to pee, he gets up at 6 a.m. <laughs> Go ahead, man. Okay, so the next topic, let's move on to a little bit of economic news that I think is uh, very interesting. So uh, one of the Federal Reserve, uh, Atlanta Federal Reserve President Rafael Bostic said the central bank is prepared to step in with more money policy if help or to help if needed to help businesses and people get through the, what could be some tough months ahead. He says, and that's one thing we didn't mention is like now we have two vaccines out that, oh, that are both shown to be 94, 95% uh, efficient. And one of them I think is submitting for emergency approval today. And that could be within a month. They're saying they could be getting vaccines out to first responders and stuff. So that, that's good news uh, at the end of all this, that there is vaccines coming out that as long as they get approved for emergency approval, they will start being distributed. How long that takes, who well, knows? Pfizer's... Uh, um effective rate went up yeah it went up to like 94 95 and then moderna came out and said theirs was 95 percent. but that that's good but in this article he says the vaccine is definitely positive news and will definitely lead to a to i think a pretty robust recovery once it gets into the population deep enough but we really have short-term and intermediate-term concerns with the spike in the virus and what 
and what that's going to do for businesses in terms of the things that we're able to produce in terms of consumers and their willingness to go out and buy things. One of the chief concerns is over the political or potential for an uneven recovery and complacency that could occur if some businesses recover and others don't. That's where he thinks the Fed should be more aggressive. He ends with a quote that says, I think the economy is fine, but I do believe the recovery could be more robust than it is currently playing out to be. He said, we know there are communities that are hurting. The virus has hit them extremely hard. We know small businesses have been on the edge for quite some time. We need to be thinking that what ways that we can act to help them get through this minimum with minimum damage. So it's interesting to say that they think they still have juice. The title of it was Bostic says Fed tools still have juice and will be used if the economy slows. And leading into the other topics, like what other what are the more topics that the interest rates are zero. The only thing they have is more quantitative easing, pumping more money into the economy, inflating asset prices. And what well, happens with they're, what, they're already investing in the stock market. Yeah. They're, they're buying off like all this debt from people, putting more cash into the economy, yeah. pushing more and more out further on the risk spectrum, searching for yield for returns for growth. But then it's also where they say this kind of whole K shaped recovery. It's like, who gets that money? people that are holding these assets right. who holds assets usually not people that hold 30 40 or make 30 40 50 grand a year because their assets are in their 401ks where yeah their 401k goes up but they can't touch those for 30 40 years or whatever it may be until their retirement to where i i think this leads perfectly into your next topic that you wanted to cover is when they pump all this money into the economy where does it all go and how do you have a robust economy and help these small businesses like he talks about in this article so take it away with your uh, next topic. Which is? The Tesla. The oh, Tesla and the Bitcoin. Good, good, no, you're saying small businesses. I'm like, I don't have anything about a small no, business. No, no, but, but that's just where <laughs> more of the question. Where does the money go when they keep pumping more money to this economy? And like, right. how does it, quote unquote, trickle down to the small businesses? Well, I, that's, that's the problem, right? It's not trickling down because they're not pumping it in the right areas the right way. Um, but let's let's talk about Tesla. Tesla just uh, is about to join the S&P 500. So this is going to be happening Monday, December 21st. And Tesla will be one of the 10 most valuable companies in the index. So to be included in the S&P 500, you have, a, you have to have a market cap minimum of $8.2 billion. And the company must report four straight quarters of profit as determined by the U.S. General Acceptance Accountability Principles. Wow, mouthful. Um, so you got to have 8.2 billion of market cap, all right, and four quarters of profit. Tesla's market cap. Let's let's kind of look into the numbers. So Tesla has had the fifth consecutive quarter of profits, and the third quarter was 8.7 billion. The third quarter was $8.7 billion. The S&P wants you to have a market cap of $8.2 billion. So keep those numbers in mind. The company also reported that it delivered 139,000 vehicles during the third quarter. 139,000 Teslas. Holy crap. I mean, They're not cheap cars either. No, they like, haven't come out with their... I don't think they've come out with their entry level of 40,000. They said no, they no. are. They, yeah, they've been... Well, 
uh, Musk has been talking about uh, th- he's been targeting a thirty-five thousand dollar price point for years now. That he wants to come out with a Tesla that's you know around the under forty grand to compete pretty much with Ford and everybody else. Uh, but they're struggling to get the quality at that price. You know, you got to yeah. really mass produce a lot more Teslas. I mean, you're just it's well. Gonna, it's also the charging stations too that you got to have right. places to go. It's like you got to retrofit your house to charge your car. You got to do all these things to where you drive it to work. You have to have enough stations to where you look out in a parking lot here in, in Texas. Like I see charging stations, but ten for an entire parking lot of cars. Like, you would have to have massive investment to make that even possible. Well, so I don't own a Tesla. Um, <laughs> and I don't think I will for quite some time. Uh, to me, that's a luxury, not a necessity. But for anybody that owns a Tesla, I'd be curious for you to put it in the chat and let me know, like, what is the process of outfitting your property so you can have the charging ports? And then, like, what's the durability, right? So you're saying, you know, charging ports at stores and stuff like that. Do you really need them? Or it's like, well, as long as you charge it last night and you're not traveling cross, uh, cross country, you could have that charge yeah. is going to last so you're you saying you could charge it at night drive it to work let it sit in the parking lot all day drive it 15 miles home and go still have grocery a charge. shopping go yeah. to the mall and still come back and still be good to you know put it back to charge and charge it again like i would like to know what that process is so if anybody on here owns a tesla i would love to hear your your feedback on that and how that process works so that is what happened right but what is tesla's market cap Three hundred and eighty billion dollars. Three hundred and eighty billion dollars. So it was like, why the hell was it not inducted into the S&P? Well, because they need to have four straight quarters of profit. And then yeah. they have other little things. That well, they it's also the, <laughs> their stock price. I was just looking at it yesterday. It's gone up 500 percent just this year alone. You look over the one year ago and it's a 500 percent return from this time last year. Well, as speaking of that, Tesla went public IPO in June 29, 2010, right? Literally 10 years ago, they went IPO. The share was priced at $17. So far, it has reached nearly $1,700. Then they did the five to one split and all of that. But for anybody that bought in those early adopters, they've had a 10,000% increase on the price of Tesla. So because uh, I was really like digging into it. I was like, when I saw this, I was like, okay, okay, hold on. Why is Tesla worth so damn much? Yeah. Right? What What is it about Tesla that is making it worth so damn much? And it's pretty much the biggest thing with Tesla is you have two big factors. One, they're not a car manufacturer, right? They are Tesla. They do everything. Yeah. So they're doing... You have your, your, obviously they're doing the cars, they're doing the supercharged refueling stations, they're doing the power wall home chargers, they're doing solar roofs. I mean, this guy- His flamethrowers that he, the, he made. Yeah, the flamethrowers <laughs> that were kept selling and he had, out. And he had his own tequila too. As and a joke, he made it sold out in a day. Well, I don't know if that was part of the Tesla brand. Or said, that literally was said thing. Tesla on the thing, whatever. Yeah, but, uh, but, but what I'm saying is as part of the company, it's very, like versatile like it has a lot of areas it's not just selling cars it's doing a lot in the energy sector and then yeah. let's not talk about even the the underground loop that he's building from la to vegas the boring company the, what? the boring company oh so he has that i mean one of the things i find amazing and this is going to lead to the next topic but one of the things i find amazing about it is that 
Everybody has been doubting Elon Musk since the inception. This guy is a dreamer. He can't do this. He's out of, he's out of his mind. All this. And it's like he's been proving everybody wrong. Yeah. Every well, that's why I look at like way. early adopter. Like you weren't looking at it from traditional financial standpoint because the financials have not made sense and they still don't make sense compared to traditional standards. Where I look at the PE ratio and it's They're like starting to 850 to one when the normal PE ratio is like 15. So I think, I think even that though, breakdown in PE ratios for people that don't understand, like, it's, it's, but like I think PE ratios, what used to be looked at, I think that formula is probably changing now. Cause well, yeah, and I think it, going back to like everyone says, oh, the 15s. Where I, I read a book, a book by um, what is it, the Intelligent Investor about uh, Warren Buffett and stuff like that, and they talk like 15 was the norm. Also, this was written back from like the look at Buffett and his heyday was like the 80s, 90s, and early 2000s. But now they've pumped so much more money into the market, and who gets that money? It's the people with the assets that hold these things. That's where my point where they're forcing the money further out on the uh, risk spectrum yeah. to get returned where it's taking companies like this and all these tech companies and shooting them through the roof because you have these these chances that can come about and it's one of those that it keeps going higher and higher and higher and higher and then you kind of get that effect when you see these numbers like well that uh, FOMO thing the fear of missing out like well I don't want to miss out so I'm going to jump in and you have a lot of young kids taking their stimulus checks and dumping it into single stocks to get these returns and then when they think oh five to one stock split that means my thing's going to my stock's going to jump it's like well no you just get five stocks for your one stock but people think well it's a five to one for they're getting five for the price of one so they jump in and it pushes it even higher so it's it's a good marketing strategy to do it it is I mean think about it when it a stock selling at 1700 sounds so much more expensive than a stock selling at 250. Yeah. Right. So it's like, well, you're still getting the same thing, but it sounds better. Yeah. So it's like, oh, I can afford 250. It's like you're, but you're not getting it cheaper. You're just getting a fraction of the stock that was once worth. Yeah. And that's where, uh, to my point though, it's like, you can't go off traditional financials of just looking at like, if you just looked at the straight balance, you really need to understand, um, exponential technologies of what the impact mm-hmm. could be if they are successful and put a bet on bet on that and understand, um, social capabilities of what people feel. As like most people don't understand these financials and they're betting with their emotions, not based on the financial. It's like, I just like the company. He's created a brand that's hot. It's sexy. It's cool. And he's in the news. He's, he's a quirky guy. He makes little jokes and they're like, they're embedding on he him. Smells weed. Yeah. He, he, they're betting on him and his abilities, not necessarily the financials of the company. And then it is one of the things that, uh, you take a guy like that and you pressure him and you try to sell short so much. And like you fuel somebody like that and doubting them. And he just works constantly nonstop. I mean, jobs was another guy like him. That's creating revolutionary, uh, technologies. Well, and it's, it's kind of like you see, um, and I, I know some people are not going to like the comparison, but I mean, Love him or hate him, it's kind of like Trump, where he doesn't care what your opinion is. He's going to do whatever the hell he wants to do, regardless of what you think about him. Regardless if you think he's stupid or it doesn't make sense, he doesn't care. He's not moved by public opinion. He's moved by, he has his mission, he has his purpose, and that that is what he's going after. Where I look at all this is that I look at it as 
the public is speaking, right? And as investors, we need to start thinking about going green. What does that look like as we get into building more homes and stuff like that? It's thinking about going green because that is what people are essentially investing in. That is what Musk represents. You know, it's the whole going green, energy efficient, you know, away from oil, away from coal, away from all that. Let's do solar energy. Let's do all this. So it's trying to think more as an investor. It's like, all right, look, this company did not get this big, you know, by sheer just inflation like people are buying the stock people are investing in the company so it's like people believe in going green i think this is a good projector and understanding of where the population is going yeah and uh, tommy puts a good point here though is like keep in mind he represents a single point of failure to where it is all about musk well my question would be to that is who is the number two because everyone thought apple was all about steve jobs and it was and it failed once he left originally but when he came back and he passed away in 2010 11 12 Mm -hmm. he had built his company back up and tim cook stepped in and now you can't disregard apple has been quite successful without running with steve jobs with tim cook at the helm so who was the number has jobs done or must done a good job of creating and cultivating a number two that if something were to happen to him that could step in and help run this company. The other thing is, though, uh, Apple was a much more stable company when Jobs passed away than if Musk something were to happen to Musk today. Mm-hmm. So it'd be something that uh, has. Does he have a number two? Who is it, and what are their capabilities of well, running usually, that company? Usually, stuff like that with the number two, and all, you're not going to hear about it until the guy dies. Like nobody's going to hear about somebody's number two while they're alive because yeah. it's them. Elon Musk is him. And I'm sure he has people that are shadowing him, that are learning everything about him, everything that he's doing um, in case some shit happens. But it, it's him, you know, and, and Tesla, if anything was to happen anytime soon to Musk, Tesla would take a nosedive, you know, until that because it's like right now it's all on him. Mm-hmm. Right? That's the, the people are investing for, on Elon, not in Tesla. Right. So if he was to die, somebody like what happened with Steve Jobs, you know, uh, Cook had to come in and prove his worth. He wasn't I don't think he's as innovative as um, as Jobs. Jobs was, but he knows how to run the business. Mm-hmm. You understand? He's proved that he knows how to run and grow Apple. He's made it extremely successful. But uh, just a little fun fact of, of all this is that Bezos is now 49 years old, worth $120 billion. Wait, he said Bezos. You mean Musk? That's what I said. Yeah. In my head, but I said Bezos out loud. Okay, so (laughs) Musk is now worth $120 billion at 49 years old. He is, just in 2020, his net worth has increased by $82.2 billion just this year alone. I mean, it's it's just nuts. And um, he's $8 billion away from Bill Gates. And but, you know, a few 63 billion away from Bezos as Bezos, the far richest guy in the world. By yeah, quite quite a margin. So, I mean, my goodness, that is just so much money when you start thinking about, you know, like when you start kind of complaining about how you, you, the way you look at things and then you think of somebody that's worth one hundred and twenty billion dollars. It's like, holy crap. Well, you just I I, I don't Obviously have I don't have something I don't have something to set up to be like what would that be like if he's if he bought something for like a hundred like ten thousand dollars like what would that be in a contribution when you bring it down to like 
your average person. It's like it's like going and buying a small five cent piece of candy for them spending like ten thousand dollars. Like to go out and spend ten grand is like us going and buying a five cent piece of candy. Yep. Just because it's like ten grand done. Uh, it, like, oh, it's sure. just a drop in a bucket that's so large that they don't even care. To where like it's just a different lifestyle. To where like moving about in normal society anymore. Just like it, you just out of touch with everything. Like you just don't like. Yeah, I go to the store. I just pay whatever. I buy whatever. It's just like money doesn't become yeah. anything anymore. It's just what's that? Uh, Wolf of Wall Street. Like, Look, it's fun coupons. Fun coupons. Yeah. But uh, tr- uh, Tommy Ray, he says, uh, true, but number two has to be put out, uh, seen as number two. Who was number two after Brett Favre, Aaron Rodgers, and that handoff was seamless? Correct. But you got to think about that, like you said, right? The handoff was seamless because they they mm-hmm. planned the handoff. What happened with Jobs is that he died. Well, they right? also, but they kind of knew it was they coming. Knew he down was, it was coming, but... You know, it, it was still, I think, rather quick. Um, well, he was fighting with cancer and all this for quite some time. But I think it happens. It's a little harder when it happens that quick um, to do a seamless handoff. But, yeah, I, I agree. I mean, you do have to prepare the market if you don't want your stock to tank. But I don't think Musk really cares about, you know, I, I don't know. Maybe he does care about his legacy and what's going to happen after he's gone. Maybe he's not even thinking about it. But moving on, kind of what this whole thing goes where 2020 right tesla has been blowing up and now you we've also seen a huge surge in bitcoin right bitcoin is up 15 percent, and it's blowing people's minds so i want to actually read this it's from ray dalio ray dalio is the owner founder ceo ceo is this cio i think now oh, chief invest co-chief invest uh, investment officer i think oh, is what uh, he is. bridgewaters it's a huge hedge the largest the world's largest private hedge fund yeah in the world so he's doing his thing and uh he puts this out because he's always been against um bitcoin from the start he says i might be missing something but bitcoin so uh, about bitcoin so i'd love to be corrected my problems with bitcoin are being an effective currency are the, the following. One, Bitcoin is not very good as a medium of exchange because you can't buy much with it. I presume that's because it's too volatile for most merchants to use, but correct me if I'm wrong. Number two, it's not very good as a store hold of wealth because it's volatility. It's uh, his volatility, volatility is great and has little correlation with the price of what I need to buy. So owning it, it didn't protect my buying power. And number three, if it becomes successful enough to compete and be threatening enough to currencies, the government's control, the government will outlaw it and make it too dangerous to use. Also, unlike gold, which is the third highest reserve asset that central banks own, I can't imagine central banks, big institutional investors, businesses, or multinational companies using it. If I'm wrong about these things, I would love to be corrected. Thank you. So for that, you can go on Twitter and correct them if you feel you can correct them. But his point is, you know, it's not, it can't, it's not really used as currency. It's not a store of wealth. But what we've seen is during this whole 
going back to the the theme of the podcast right going this whole year that's been like the faith in the government the faith in the system has been deteriorating so rapidly that gold and bitcoin both have been rising mm -hmm. right and bitcoin from day one has kind of come out has been not that it's come out that way but it's kind of been invested as a way to not depend on government fiat currency yeah. right it's a it's a it's a form of currency controlled by the people and not dictated by any government so it's very interesting to see that now it's what what is it it's like near fifteen thousand again yeah, i think seventeen thousand yeah where it had tanked all the way down to three and a lot of people are like oh bitcoin is a you know is a fad is going away and now during this crisis it's blown up again and people are saying that it, it has a lot more room to go so we have another CEO of a $12 billion wealth advisory, um, the Veer Group. And he agreed in the note on Wednesday saying inflation fears spurred by massive government spending during the pandemic have investors piling into safe haven assets, in particular those not tied to any specific country, such as Bitcoin and gold, as a shield against the turbulence. And then he said on Wednesday that 73% of the more than 700 of its millionaire clients who responded to a firm's annual uh, cryptocurrency survey say that they already invested in crypto. 73% of 700 millionaires have already invested in crypto or plan to by 2023. That's a, that's a huge percentage, right? 73% uh, of millionaires. Are, I mean, that means by 2023, like, what does that mean to me? Unless obviously it's a kind of pump and dump scheme, price is going to keep going up because yeah. if you have that amount of millionaires saying they're going to keep investing in uh, Bitcoin and crypto until 2023, I mean, right? Yeah, prices are going to keep going up. So how do you see this? this well, for every, but for every buyer pay. of, I mean, it's Bitcoin is like a stock price for every buyer. There's a seller. I mean, yes, you get like about a 2% increase every year due to the fact of mining and stuff like that. But that's why the price is going up is because more and more people are piling into it, driving the prices up. And I mean, just like gold, like it only limits so much more to the, the supply in a year, but you have more people trying to buy it. That's what drives the price up to where I think with this, it's kind of like the Tesla stock. Uh, if you invest in an early adopter in 2010, you made the bet right and it up to this point you've made a lot of money off of placing in that but it's also one of the things that i'm sure somebody could go through and find a lot of companies that started around the same time as tesla that didn't work out and they failed and went to zero to where this it's a it's not like to ray dalio's point like it's not really a currency because i don't go around i know there's a few places you can go use Bitcoin, but it's usually you have to do something via online right. that takes Bitcoin. Um, and it is extremely volatile because I mean, I was looking at it the other day that it dropped, I think all the way down to 3000 in March. And I just looked at it now it's up 18,000 right now. So you've had that huge swing yeah. in just a the short period of time, but you also had that huge swing back in 2018 when things were hot yeah. and then it crashed all the way back down to 3000. So there is a massive volatility to where it's something that if you're going to invest in it, I think that's where a lot of these wealthy people do it is they put a, it's a chip on the table kind of thing. Just like starting with Tesla back in 2010 it's like, I get it. I believe the vision. I don't in you, but I don't quite see the, applicability of it long-term, but I'm going to put something on the table to see if it does perform over well, the long-term. 
I, I think it's more than a chip on the table because, I mean, for it to be rising this much, for this firm to have, you know, 700 millionaires saying that they're going to invest in crypto, like, it, it's starting to get to a point where, and, and you have, and I'm talking about common people, not even, let's not even talk about your, your wealthy investors, people that understand economics, markets, and everything. A lot of common people are investing in Bitcoin because they feel that it's protecting their wealth. I think they're investing in it because I think it goes up in price. Just like 2018, it wasn't oh, a protecting wealth. It's like, oh, I'm going to get rich because it goes up. It's It's been going up. It's been from 3,000 to 18,000. Yeah, I think a lot of that drive is still people being like, oh, Bitcoin's backing up, going up. I missed the first jump. I'm going to get in now and buy it. So I think that's more your common people okay. are riding it for that. I agree. I agree. So you, so you don't feel that it's the lack of faith in the government you think it's more people jumping on the bandwagon you're making quick a quick buck i to a degree so if you separated the economy out and you had your bottom 50 and i mean if less than that let's say it's or higher than that like your bottom 65 70 percent i think they're jumping in because it's speculative because you ask people like what's bitcoin oh it's a digital currency yeah but what is bitcoin it's not what can you do with it? Like it's really the underlying technology, the distributed ledger and the stuff that really makes that technology work. Right. So most people don't understand or take the time to research Bitcoin. They just type in Bitcoin and see the price skyrocketing and they jump in. Yeah. I think there are people at the top that do see that, Hey, if you get enough of the people investing with that mentality and create a large enough market cap that it starts being able to, chip away at that kind of reserve currency and build faith long-term over uh, something to say like the dollar. So it isn't manipulated, but it is, it, it's such a massive pool that so, you have, uh, what do they say? Like the reason the dollars are deserve, reserve currency is because it has such a depth of debt market attached to it that you can't just wipe away that debt overnight and lose it. Well, the longer Bitcoin stays at such a high valuation, I think you will come out with vehicles and you've seen some of it trying to create ETFs and stuff related to stock market that do create debt markets and debt pools behind a currency or a reserve like a Bitcoin. It yeah. needs to have some of the volatility go down to create a massive market, but the longer it stays higher and stays up that point, I think you'll create debt markets behind it that uh, do make it something that is not a currency, but something like gold that is a store of wealth once enough debt and uh, stability get attached to it. So how do you feel that the government can actually stop this from happening? Because they talk about, you know, it, they talk about that the, if it becomes powerful enough, the government's going to step in. Yeah. How? How can the government step in and manipulate and control Bitcoin? Well, they can't control it, but they can make it to where like no U.S. merchant can accept it. How? Like just literally, literally like that. You can't. You, they're yeah, telling they, you how to run your business. You yeah, can't they just they just currency. say like you can't accept bit. We're not saying that you can you can accept Bitcoin, but then they can tax the piss out of it and say if you do a currency this route, we're going to tax it. They make it just so hard to use. Like they can't. It, then it becomes like a gold. Like you can get a gold coin now. You can buy one, but try going buy groceries with a gold coin. You got to have dollars. So when you can't, when banks can't, uh, are you going to essentially sell and accept Bitcoin? And then when you need it, you just convert it to dollars and go spend it. Or if, unless you make it to where it's, you can't do that or they tra trace it in some way. Like I think the government could step in and make it not a currency, not saying it couldn't be used as a store of wealth where you can convert no, it, no, but you it. still couldn't use the currency to where it's just like, yeah, good luck getting a loan on know. it with, uh, with, 
I'd be curious to see how how that can how a government can actually come in and control Bitcoin. I, I'd be curious because even what you're saying, I'm I'm still thinking. I'm like, I don't think they can stop you from collecting Bitcoin. Well, they yeah. Well, gold and they they in they 1930 they confiscated all the gold and said it's illegal for you to own gold. And if you could only own ten gold coins, to yeah, but that was physical. Like they they weren't stopping you. I don't well, I don't know. I mean. I, I didn't look into it, but I don't think they were stopping you from like owning golden uh, gold companies, you know, or mining stocks and stuff like that. So you could probably own paper worth of gold, but you can't own the physical gold because they were trying to confiscate the gold. But with They're Bitcoin, value the dollar, just peg the dollar electronic. back then. Well, it's electronic, but you don't think the government has in its infinite power of money that it couldn't create systems with people to somehow tap in to trace this stuff uh, to see where the underlying things come from because i mean it's the same thing somebody could very easily like a grocery store have take dollars convert to gold to store wealth and then convert it back to dollars and then use it and it could be the yeah. same thing with bitcoin and stuff but they just can't accept well, straight bitcoin I, I like uh tommy's point and i think this is a very good point where he says have you not seen the power of the government or the media to misinform or destroy confidence. Yeah, that's a very I, good I, point. I think that's uh that's an excellent way of looking at it because it's like how can you control it? Well, you control the narrative behind it. Yeah. Uh, if you can control the narrative, you can pretty much misinform and drown out because uh, that we have seen, right? Yeah. We have seen where you have from social platforms to the media controlling what you see and don't see, right? Or if it's something that is gonna trigger some people, they're gonna push it off and not let you post. On social media, they're not going to let you post your opinions. Uh, the I think media... they can make it very hard to convert. Yeah. Because right now, like, it, once it gets that convertibility, and almost instantly that's something that could, what, what I mean, makes it worth more. I mean, I think by doing that, controlling the narrative, uh, making it harder to transact with, it would make kind of a black market for it to where it would make the value go extremely high because now it's a rare asset and it's hard to get, but people now still want it. Right. Because it is free from the government, but the government makes it so damn hard to use that would it be hard to convert. Where like a chunk of gold, it's physical. I'm holding it in my hand. Yeah, I can do something with that. But if like you have it, it's digital. It's out in the computer space. It's on your phone. Now, how do you go transact that when more and more and more like they're listening to everything we're doing with these phones because they're sitting here and they have access to it? How would they be not be able to see like what's on your phone? An app that's on your phone that controls those digital wallets that you're converting over into dollars. So I think there would be a way if it became a huge threat. I think there would be a big Ooh. battle with it that uh, All right, let's stop talking about that because then uh, the <laughs> computer is going to shut off and the feet's going to cut off like it has in the past. So let's not uh, get too into that. But let, as we let's shift gears and talk about real estate, right? Our, our bread and butter, what we do, all these things affect real estate. So let's uh, let's get into it. So this past month after the election, mortgage demand for uh, from home buyers surges. So it's like everybody took a pause before the elections because everybody's like, I don't know what the hell's gonna happen. Yeah, election happened and. It's just gone way to hell up, right? It, it's it's gone up like I think I was seeing like ninety seven percent from oh, the same week last year. I mean, it's insane. And usually, the, this is actually something that I had brought up to you uh, previously. Is because of COVID, are we gonna see a winter like we typically see where real estate slows down? Because we're in November and it seems like it just keeps picking up and getting hotter. Well, I mean, months of inventory are rising. Like it is slowing down from the summer months, 
but we were coming from such a high that well, there wasn't much inventory being pumped out. Where now we're starting to see more. Yeah, you're still seeing, but now, like I, I think I ran it the other day that um, months of inventory did rise, so it mm-hmm. showed that it was quote unquote cooling off, but it's also still lower than our 2019 summer lows. So we're still hotter in October, November than right. we were in July, June, July of last summer. So it's still extremely hot, but it's just not of at, last summer. Of last summer. Oh wow. So, but that's why I said we were coming off but, such a low of inventory right. in the summer months that yes, it's, it's kinda, slowing it's down, pile, but piling up this summer with you know the winter now. So it's combining all yeah. of that inventory. And I, I sat down with somebody on Wednesday. They were uh, nude getting into real estate and they asked me what I thought of the um, real estate market. And she's like, well, the more people I talk to are the realtors and stuff. They're saying we're going to be dealing with a lot of foreclosures very soon. It's like, yeah, realtors. I was like, yeah, they know po- what they're talking about. It's like possibly, but they also have, if they were in a lot of people have recency bias of what happened in 2008 when real estate was the absolute center of what, the issue was in the economy and it was a lending problem would cause banks to lose money that needed to liquidate properties to get cash back into their coffers because it wasn't coming from the federal reserve like it is today to where i said i do see foreclosures starting to rise but i also see that as long as you still have this like especially here in texas we have this massive influx of people moving here we have massive demand for housing to where it might normalize. You will see months of inventory, more listings and stuff come up. But as long as you have that constant buyer, people of people moving here, I think those houses are going to get gobbled up long before they get into foreclosure blocks. Because as long as you have somebody there to buy and you have the equity to sell, then I think those houses will sell. But uh, somebody will buy them. The problem is going to be those people that bought in the last three years on, or maybe two years on an FHA loan, three and a half percent down, and they don't have enough appreciation to sell the house with the fees that it costs yeah. for realtors. Like that's where I think you'll have a problem. You'll see those kind of foreclosures start to come about because it's also like, even for sub twos, those really don't work because they have negative cash flow because their PITI is so high. Their mortgage insurance is on top of that, that the rents don't make sense because values were so high. Taxes were so high and you're starting at such a high point, but I don't see real estate taking at anywhere near as large a hit in Texas. It could be worse in other places, but I think there's such an influx of people. Employment is a factor on all that because, you know, in order for real estate to take that big a hit is because people don't have the jobs, right? They don't, they don't have the income. And then the other thing I was looking at is we're having record breaking refis. So before where we were safe on the foreclosure side was everybody had a lot of equity, but more and more people keep pulling that equity out. Mm-hmm. You understand? So they're pulling all that equity out. So they're, they're getting themselves a little tighter on their homes. You add that to if uh, unemployment you know, keeps going up like and, and they see... do another long-term shutdown where people are not working. Well, I'd like to see the stats on that. How many people are, are refining and how many people are doing cash out refinances? Because like my parents refinanced their home, but didn't take any cash out. It was mm-hmm. just to lower the interest rate. Right. So I wonder how many people actually took equity out of their home or just lowered their payment on well, the interest rate. We are at the end of the month. So we're getting near the end of the month for the next market update. That'd be some probably good stats to try to figure out yeah. because it, it's really that like with all the refinancing, I, I just can't accept I can't believe that people wouldn't be pulling out cash. Yeah. You understand? Because of all the fears of what's coming down the line and everything, if they have the option to pull out cash at like two, 3% interest, 
why wouldn't you? Yeah, right? but then it's where do they spend that money? If people are coming in shot downs, they get scared and cash it. holds in. So yeah. it's like they could withstand several months they could, of payments. But, we, but it's just seeing what it is that people start doing, right, with that money. Because it's it's easy to also spend it. Not everybody has a, a financial discipline with their expenses and everything yeah. to, you know, they're like, oh, well, I have probably 20, 30 grand sitting in, a, in my bank right now. Oh, this is only a hundred bucks. Eh, yeah, I can spend it. Oh, only a hundred. And we like we always talk about it's that little twenty, fifty, a hundred, how it adds up at the end of every single month, right? So it's I'm just curious to see how all that's gonna play out. As far as foreclosures go, we talked about it with the forbearances and everything. Well that's in the article next We can kind of see the next round possibly of people having trouble starting in March and April when the full twelve months of forbearance expires. For, for those people. Yes, yeah, so it expires in March, but then you have to go through the foreclosure process. But that's if right. they don't extend it even if further. They, right. And so there's a lot of ifs. And so for people to say we're going to have foreclosures for sure, I, I don't see how they're saying that because I don't see what data they're looking at to show that with all of the government assistance, with all of the, all the things that are being put out there to make sure th this doesn't happen to people, right? And then we got to allow foreclosures to come back and all this to happen again. So I don't know. I wouldn't be betting so much as an investor. I wouldn't be betting waiting for foreclosures or anything like that. I think uh, you got to, and we're going to talk about well, marketing. You, you got to understand the, 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 the financial system too. You yeah. have to have an underlying understanding of how the economy and money moves and where it comes from for tied to real estate. That's why I was telling these people that last month or last recession, it was a lending crisis. So people couldn't get homes even if they wanted. Like, I want to buy a house. I'm well qualified, but the money's not there. So that's what caused so many things to crash and banks were losing so much money. And that's why they had to flood the market with properties just to get some money back. So that's so, why the people with yeah. cash, it did work. And and we have a uh, Tommy on here, how he talks about like, he's, you know, he's going for a home equity cash, extract his money. And now he can pretty much do hard money loans to other investors and rehabbers. Mm -hmm. So, but that, that is a very smart way of doing it, Tommy, because you are, you're an investor and actually we're going to be starting back up our tips from the pros that we do live and back up in January. And I wanted to have you Tommy on here because you talk a lot about, you know, that kind of renting out the rooms and doing all this creative stuff. And I would love to get your, your opinion and share that value for people. But it, it's going back to the topic, like saying, that's why when real estate uh, agents are the ones and you have some good real estate agents, the majority are not. And, but they kind of use that credibility because I'm an agent. I know what I'm talking about. And yeah. it's like, eh, no. I'm a real estate professional. It's like, no, you're a real estate retail professional. That yeah. doesn't mean you're, well, a and you just got your license, which is not rocket science to do either. So it's, you know, it's not like, you know, a lot about economics, the real estate market. You, you don't spend your time. You just learn how to, buy or sell a house for somebody like yeah that's about it well and the, and the uh on the next topic here about like the forbearance and stuff like if foreclosures are coming back well the u.s forbearance rate measuring the share of mortgages with suspended payments experienced a 20 basis point improvement last week after it fell to 5.47 so all mortgages that Fannie Mae, like the government Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac own, only 5.67 were in forbearance. And now that has dropped to 5.47. I was trying to find, uh, I found a 
chart that showed how many people of loans overall versus Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac like were in the forbearance. Yeah. And it was actually quite a small percentage of homes that were in these forbearance programs that were falling behind on payments to where I don't think uh, you're going to have a lot of uh, massive foreclosures like we did last time, like we just talked about. The U.S. forbearance rate has now fallen for 11 consecutive weeks with an estimated 2.7 million homeowners still in mortgage forbearance plants to where it's like, it's been falling for 11 weeks and it's the thing that we keep talking about. Like it depends on how long and how far they shut these things down. Yeah. So we have no idea what this is going to do, but it is 11 weeks that it has been falling and it's down to five, less than five and a half percent of loans are actually in these forbearances. And so the share of fan Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac loans in for forbearance fell also that was all of loans that was at that fannie mae and freddie mac fell 13 basis points to 3.36 marking the 23rd week in a row that the gsc forbearance rate has dropped so it's a it's a very small subset of people that are actually in these forbearances when you look at the data so people want to jump to see oh we're in a crisis last time all real estate prices fell all right are we back on my goodness we were just talking about real foreclosures and real yeah. estate. I swear to God. Apparently. Somebody started listening to the beginning of it, and they're like, well, we got to shut it down. This might continue to go. Yeah. It is not liking us. So, um, But, yeah, I, so kind of picking up. Every, just put in the comment if you guys see us again, if it, everything's coming through okay. Um, don't know what the heck happened. Just decided to crap out on us. I says we're back. We're back. So, okay. But I mean, to finish that last topic, yeah. uh, I, I just don't think we're going to see a massive flood of foreclosures. And we're, I mean, we're going to continue to watch these numbers because it, it all depends on where this is going to go. But one of the things that what caused this problem, it was a virus. There is now a vaccine that's going at the very final stages to come out to where there is light at the end of the tunnel now. And I would say it's more than light at the end of the tunnel. I think end of the tunnel is like they're entering stage three. Now they're right. like, oh, now the efficiency rate came out at if it's above 60%, we're good. And this thing's shooting up at mid 95%, uh, mid 90s. So that's fantastic to where now we start dealing with some of these repercussions and what happens. So there we are coming out of this thing. It just what happens in the next 12 to 18 months with dealing with the problems from this. So uh, Tommy over here, he's beating me to where I was going. But he says, remember that divorces will also blossom and mortgage failures due to the divorce. So that was going to be my point with all this, where people, I think if you're an investor and you're on the sidelines right now, waiting for this foreclosure boom that I believe all these false gurus and ignorant people are pushing, um, you're just on the sidelines. Yeah. But I think there's still opportunity for investments. You just got to be creative. And I think that's what we've seen lately with, uh, so we've actually started doing some experimental marketing and we're trying, you know, some new things out because the deals that we're getting from wholesalers are complete trash. These people do not know how to negotiate worth a damn. They don't know how to, and maybe maybe it's not even negotiating. So I actually did a little test. I went on a Facebook group uh, for wholesalers and I put on there a question. I'm like, as a wholesaler, how do you, what is your formula to estimate repairs? I asked specifically, what is your formula? Because I know many of them use a formula. 
yeah. right? Which to me there, was is... There, let me guess. Their formula is, well, I got a contract. I got a price. So I just make the repairs. No, no, it is no. To make you, the deal work. You would actually be surprised. Some people had gotten very creative, like price per square foot for certain things. Like the AC was uh, $6 a square foot. Um, the roof, a foundation. Uh, I think foundation was $5 a square foot. Uh, that you budget to redo foundation issues, plumbing. So, I mean, some of them got really elaborate. Some were very basic as to, you know, well, if it needs cosmetic, it's $10 a square foot. If it needs major cosmetics, it's $20 a square foot. I think the most I saw, like, if the house is trash, they went up to, like, $35 a square foot, right? So $35 a square foot for a 1,000-square-foot house that needs everything. That sounds about right. I was like running my my mind like define trashed. No, I'm can, talking about they're talking about like you're redoing everything. I, I know, but then when you look at some of, <laughs> I just look at the houses we did over in uh, five or um, by North Star Mall, Ridgeview area, right. to where like those houses were eleven hundred, twelve hundred exactly. square feet, and it's like we spent like ninety to a hundred grand on those each one of those houses. The one that we walked out of that we weren't even in there for ten minutes and we left. Yeah. Well I guess that's true. Like it I mean that number like it was a thousand square foot house and he said thirty five thousand dollars and that house was trashed. But it's like what is your definition of trash that you're using? Because I'm looking at this thing like, dude, this sheetrock's all gotta come down. I gotta add I have to add air conditioner. I have to rewire the entire house. Yep. Like uh that's not gonna work like you can spend 35 grand pretty quick if you got to do the air conditioner the plumbing and the roof it's like well there went 15 20 depending on how bad the plumbing gets with that uh, yeah. foundation like who knows where i'm using it for our kisco property we did like it was an 1800 square foot house saying five dollars a square foot i was like so what's that nine grand like we spent like seventeen thousand on that because it was forty-seven piers and we had like twenty breakouts that we had to go through the foundation underneath the house and lift the whole thing up. It's like, uh, well, and that that was more my point. Like when I was looking at their formulas and everything, it, it, again, it was a it was a research study for me, right? It was fun to do. Um, I just wanted to see what the problem is, and it's just that they're using formulas, right? And I was like, you can't do that on a property. Because the age of the house is going to be a huge influence. If you're buying a house that's 1950s, right, and it needs everything, like, it's a lot more expensive to do that house than a 1980s, 90 house. Yeah. You know, so it's like you're, you're looking at all these things and you're looking at the formulas and it's like, you guys, you're, you're screwing it up because you're not doing the right due diligence. And like we've talked about it before. If you're a wholesaler, you don't know what the hell you're doing. You need to go to these houses with investors. Yeah. Have them show you. Oh, just, just Take that. the time to learn it. When you said define everything, like it's like a 1980 everything is different than a 1940 everything because of the systems you had to work with back then. Yeah. To where it's like rewiring a house. I don't need to rewire a house in the 80s, but you say it needs everything. I need, if you say it needs everything in the 1940s, I'm like, I need to rewire that house. Yeah. And you're looking at seven, eight, nine grand, depending on how big this house is to redo. And it's like, is there an air conditioner? It's not cheap to add an air conditioner yeah. because now you have to frame in a closet somewhere to add this thing if it's not there. That's why the houses we did were so expensive because we actually had to do structural framing to add in an AC closet right. to make it work. And then the chases to get it from one side of the house to the other because 
they weren't there because it ran off of window units. So, yeah, that's well, where I actually did the math. I, I used their formulas on, you know, I went, I think, like five or six of our last renovations. And the closest they got was $32,000 off using their numbers. Wow. I was like, because that's the problem, right? Unless, and I'm not talking about the the one that I didn't put in there, um, Princess Diane, because that one was just lipstick, yeah. right? We didn't do much to it. But all the other ones that are real work, and I used all their numbers, you know, for the extreme work, they were off on well, every single, because like, it's like you can't use a formula on a house that needs that much work. it's not to work. say we're perfect or anything no. like that, to say like, okay, we may pay a premium for contractors. Okay, but we're not paying a... $32,000 premium either. These dudes aren't driving around in Ferraris or their job sites. Well, yeah, they got nice trucks when and our, stuff, but... our max rehab so far uh, on those projects was, I believe, was like almost a hundred grand. So, I mean, we're not, you know, paying over a third over everything. You know what yeah. I'm saying? Like, we're not, we could be over by 10 grand maybe. And I, I would even say, okay, 10, 15 grand, you're not that far off, right? Yeah. But 32 was the lowest. I was like, you're way the hell off. And that's the problem. So we go back to the same thing as uh, going back to the marketing, going back to what Tommy was saying about divorces. You got to get creative in order to determine what is the real motivation from people right now. Right. So it's perhaps downsizing. Right. With all this uncertainty and everything, even though people want the room. But maybe you have people that are two or three people in the house living in a two twenty five hundred square foot home. Right. Maybe they need to downsize. They're getting divorced. Divorce rates are going up because this everybody being home, they realize they can't stand each other <laughs> being around each other that much. Divorce rates are going up. Uh, you have all of these things that it's causing motivation. Right. If you're waiting on the sidelines, waiting for foreclosures, you're going to be waiting a very long time. In yeah. our opinion. Right. Because it's. I don't think those are coming anytime and soon. And like, I think they the buyer pool is still there, especially yeah. in Texas. When you oh, look at the sure. economy we have, we're not shutting things down. The governor coming out saying we're not doing this. Yeah. To where it is sucking population and businesses from everywhere else to here. That I think it's you're going to be waiting a very long time. I mean, you go to some of these other states, you probably will have uh, foreclosure crises of places that have been shut down, that have been lost to people. Because there's nothing worse to a real estate market than a declining population. Yeah. So here we don't have that problem at all yeah. that we have a problem of too many people moving here and not enough housing to supply that influx of people yeah so that's why you see so much development going on across our state and especially and then, here in san antonio and then also what's another distress that you can probably target is this you know burned out landlords right i mean this crisis especially if they're out of state if you have an out-of-state landlord that maybe they live in california they might be struggling financially. Yeah. We're selling their house here might be a way that gives them some breathing room. Yeah. Right. So it's like you got to start thinking, OK, maybe it's not a distress in, let's say, San Antonio specifically. All right. But yeah, who but owns San Antonio the houses? homes aren't owned only by San Antonians. San Antonians. Yeah. OK, cool. I like that word. Yeah. Nice. San Antonians. How are my fellow San Antonians doing? Um, so you got to think a little more creatively. You got to think a little more like what are the stress signals that could be caused by people that own the house? What could be some situations that homeowners might be going through outside of just not being able to afford their mortgage? What could be maybe moving for jobs, relocating, maybe a certain industry 
like here that we have well, the I mean, tourism Tommy industry. Makes a, and all a that. great point here, where he goes, um, we are decoring our cities, spreading away from democratic or. or Democratic urban centers, the job base is shifting internet remote from home just in time for 5G network. Imagine that. To where some, and then we covered it a couple weeks ago where companies in Silicon Valley are paying their people like, yeah, we'll pay you 20 grand to leave that place and go yeah. somewhere cheaper. That were, and it comes with a pay cut, but when you ran the numbers, they're still getting a massive pay increase because their dollar goes further in other places. So I think this is going to pull population away from dense high cost areas and spread things out and when you look at texas as a whole it's like we got a lot of room here like we don't we're not bound by yeah. oceans and mountains and things that are in the way that make it structurally costly to build and develop and then one last thing to think about as far as you know marketing strategies maybe you should be looking outside of texas for distress Right. Maybe, you know, you may not find the distress that you're looking for here in Texas because, you know, maybe it's harder to find distressed homeowners. What is, what is that uh, saying that the real estate guys always say, like, live where you want to live, but invest where it makes sense. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if they. Yeah. If they say that, then yes, <laughs> um, that, that's exactly what you what you got to look at. You know, you got to live wherever you want. It's one thing I always told my sister. I was like, look. As far as a job goes, do whatever you want and I'll teach you how to make money <laughs> because a job doesn't mean that you're going to make money, right? Yeah. It's a paycheck. But what you do to invest with that money, it's kind of it's what Tommy was saying earlier about you pull your equity, you take that equity, you lend it out as hard money terms, you get higher interest for your money. That is making money with your money. Yep. Right. And people don't understand Make they collect the paycheck. As as yeah. They may, they collect the paycheck that's in a 401k or some dumb shit like that. And they're like, I'm good. No, you're yeah. not. You know, you're not. Like you can't touch that. Yeah, like, you're well, not. You can, but it, like, it's you get very penalized all it. over the place. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, I think you got to be smart with the way you manage your money and you got to be smart with the way you look at marketing. And I'm not a person that I um, condone virtual wholesaling because we see how terrible virtual wholesaling is. So for those of you that don't know, virtual wholesaling is essentially you live in San Antonio you do some marketing in some little town in Tennessee or something, you get a property on the contract and you wholesale it to somebody else and you never left San Antonio. Our issue with that, uh, and my biggest issue with that, is we've seen it time and time again where you're doing this, you don't even know the quality of the home, you're getting on the contract for whatever price. I mean, there's no quality control at all it's too easy to screw somebody over and unintentionally or intentionally yeah well and i think it's intentional just, if you're doing it because if you're not doing it correctly you're intentionally screwing somebody over because you know no you didn't yeah. look at the house you don't know the conditions of the house like yes again it's always on the investor to do the due diligence one thousand percent but i think as a wholesaler yourself you gotta, in my opinion, have some integrity, some morals of saying, well, that's you know, what I say. eh. like, I, I'm not, not against people making money oh. and if it works, Hey, it works. But as you get more experience, you got to know better to the USA, know better, do better to where eventually you're going to figure it out. It's like, okay, this is just, I, I'm screwing somebody over here. It's like, but I'm making my five grand. Like, don't do that. Like you're a piece of shit in my mind. If yeah. you, you intentionally screw people over, like I see a lot of wholesalers do now. It's like, all they worry about is Get the contract as low as it can, build a big buyer's list, sell it as high as it can. That's their business model. That's it. It's like you're not an investor at that, but don't call yourself an investor then. No. It's like you're getting pretty. You're, you're, you're taking advantage of people's ignorance, people's, uh, you know, 
lack of knowledge on investing and all that. And again, I agree. It's their fault. A hundred percent. Yeah. But I believe, and we've always believed this ever since we started and we've had tough times as we've grown at our business, but we've always made sure that our morals and our virtues and the way we want to conduct our business always stay good. Right. Yeah. Where we've never screwed somebody over just for the paycheck. Yeah. You know, it was bigger reasons why we screwed them over. No, uh, we never oh, screwed wow. anybody over, you know, and especially <laughs> for a paycheck. Um, it's just not the way we operate. We don't feel that that's the right way to operate at all because, you know, if you believe in karma or just whatever, it's like you're one, you're not becoming a real investor that way because you, no. you don't understand what the hell you're doing. You don't understand what's happening. All you know is that you got something under contract and some other idiot bought it. That's it. And you got paid, but you're not an investor. Don't call yourself an investor. You're not investing in shit. Now, if you want to do virtual wholesaling the My right way, Go set up a team in these places. Well, and I also think it, time will tell and come to these people that are screwing people. I think there is a little bit of karma that comes with that. And the reason this is working right now is because interest rates have fallen so damn far that it's pushed so much equity up. Like there isn't any real value been created if you move out the interest rate adjustments on payments yeah. to where I'm curious what's going to be like if interest rates stop falling, because well, I don't know how the hell they can go much lower, but if they start to rise for any of the reasons we might have talked about or we've talked about in the past, it's like that's when things are going to get dicey because yeah. that's where I was explaining to somebody that was talking about a multifamily. And it's like, yeah, but your interest rates falling only help exponentially the price of what you can sell that thing to because it all comes down to loan, the payment, the cap rate all plays into it. But if interest rates start to rise for that stuff, that is going to directly impact the value of those homes to, yeah. or those those units, those multifamilies and stuff like that to where a lot of these projections are based on value add and they're expecting appreciation out of these homes or out of these, these units, commercial or residential. Yeah to where when those rates reverse or start rising, that's going to make those loans more expensive to get to means that we're going to bring values down on those homes, which is going to hurt those returns, even all the way down yeah, to single family. To sell them. And it's not going to be as sexy to be a real estate investor because it actually takes real knowledge now versus just getting lucky in the market pulling you out. Yeah. Yeah. And I think right now there are wholesalers that are getting lucky and investors that are getting screwed. And the only ones that are making money are the people that, like you're saying, have real knowledge, are taking the time to educate themselves, are taking the time to understand the market, investing, the value of money. Um, they're, they're taking the time and not having that fear of missing out like the real estate market is gonna go somewhere. You yeah. know, people are still gonna need houses. I'd rather you just take the time, educate yourself. If anything, work with somebody that knows more than you yeah. and learn from them but somebody that actually knows what they're doing. If you want to flip houses, work with somebody that's flipping houses successfully, yeah. actually making money at flipping houses. Somebody that's a, a landlord that's actually has properties and manages them and it's profitable at managing properties. You know, not a landlord that right now is- Ask the question. So what was the ARV when you started with this house? Right. Not what you sold it at and what was your net profit then minus what your appreciation aspect of it was. And I bet that's probably gonna drop 10, 15 grand. Yeah. Well, a lot of people are looking at that cash on cash return and that, you know, return on your money. But it's like you got to understand that there's a lot more to real estate investing than cash on cash return. There's yeah. appreciation, there's cash flow, there's depreciation. A lot of things play a factor in it. So when you're looking for those big paydays, you start missing all the other opportunities yeah. that really build wealth. Yeah. So 
All right, so that's it for us today. We're gonna wrap up here as we're that's hitting. A long one. Yeah, we're hitting the two-hour mark. Um, I hope you guys are enjoying this. Like always, you know, we we do work really hard trying to bring the best value to you guys, making sure that you you stay as informed as possible with everything that's happening in the market, the news, how it's gonna impact you. I, I love the discussions on the on our comment board. You know, Tommy is a very active person. Um, very, very smart person. And, uh, I believe where was it? He did say somewhere, um, where we can do this podcast. We can do the interview with him, man. What did he say? Oh, we could do an assault podcast. So I'm curious to know what that, what you mean by an assault podcast. Are we going to go to, uh, some land somewhere and shoot (laughs) some guns and do some interviews? I'm perfectly down with that. So, with that being said, again, guys, put in the comment box, put in the chat box. Yes, if you want us to do this next Friday, um, we'll, we could potentially push it to 8.30 or 9 a.m. if that's a little better for you guys, if you want to sleep in a little bit. Um, and if you're interested, put it in the comment box. If we don't hit 15 people that say they want it, we will not do it. Uh, we will just go ahead and take the week off. So if you want us here next Friday bringing you the news, let us know. And with that, we say goodbye and have a great weekend, guys. Goodbye. Happy Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving. (laughs)